Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Welcome to Food for Thought. Your table is now ready. Your servers will be Nate Geary and Bruce Nolan. Our specials today are cold, hard facts and fresh, hot takes. Can I get you started with... I'm sorry, just one moment. Can I get a little energy in here? This is Food for Thought. Our co-host for the evening, Nate Geary, is having some technical issues. And so hopefully he'll be able to be here as soon as humanly possible. But in the meantime, I want to get us off to an interesting start. You know, I was watching Diners, Drives, and Dives not too long ago, which is a show that is frequented by my wife and I, frequently often when we're eating, actually. And... Because of the experience of eating while you're watching a food show, sometimes it concocts some ideas in your head and it starts some philosophical conversation around food. And specifically, I want to talk about fusion food. So I was watching an episode of Diners, Drives, and Dives, and specifically, they were having a conversation about barbecue sushi, which I thought was fairly interesting. I thought to myself, barbecue sushi. I don't really know whether or not barbecue sushi is going to be a thing. I thought, I don't know how I feel about that. But then it got me thinking a little bit about fusion food in general. And Nate, can you hear me okay in here? Nate just popped on the stream. And I don't think he can hear me. But that's okay. It's okay. We have problems. So with this barbecue sushi that popped up across my screen this particular week, I thought to myself, are we really describing a situation where we should be upset about fusion food? Because sometimes when you ask people about fusion food, they'll say things like, it's an abomination, right? (laughs) It's an abomination. It's like... Oh, goodness gracious. What's going on? How could you possibly have this level of nonsense that comes across my palate? Seriously, barbecue sushi, it's like sacrilegious to some people. But I started thinking about it a little bit. I thought to myself, are we really discovering new food at this point in human existence? Are we discovering new herbs? Are we discovering new spices? No. So every combination that is new moving forward is as good as we're going to do as a society in regards to coming across better food. The only way we're going to do it is through new combinations. We're not discovering new stuff, ladies and gentlemen. Nobody out there is stumbling across a brand new herb, the heart-shaped herb from Black Panther that you found in Wakanda. There is no scenario here where we come across something and go, goodness gracious, I've never seen this before. This has never existed before now, but I'm glad it does. And now it's made me whole. No, the only innovation moving forward is through combination. That's right. Innovation through combination. 
is as good as we're going to do moving forward when it comes to food. That's it. Innovation through combination. We're going to take two things or three things or four things that we already know to be true, and we're going to try and mash them together and see what happens. So for all the people out there who think, okay, fusion food is an abomination. I say to you, unless you don't want any more innovation, you're going to have to deal with combination. So now that the culinary topic of the week has been established, we're moving on. We're moving on to some Bill's Steelers topics. And specifically, if you are in the comments with me, I want you to do me a favor right now. I want you to order these three things in order between most responsible for Bill's loss on Sunday to least responsible for Bill's loss. And I want to take a quick informal poll while you're doing this. Josh Allen, offensive line, play calling. Rank them from most responsible to least responsible and drop those answers in the comments. The reason why I want to have this conversation is because I think that there are certain times in a fan's existence where they get so hyper-focused on one particular aspect that they don't really recognize the intertwining of other aspects to it. And so I want to acknowledge that all three have something to do with it. But depending on who you ask is going to depend on what answer you're going to get. And a lot of times this answer will expose biases. It will expose biases where you go to yourself, okay, goodness gracious, you already come in with a Brian Dable issue, right? You're already having problems with Brian Dable. And because you're having problems with Brian Dable, you are automatically going to say play calling first. Maybe you didn't want the Bills to re-sign John Feliciano, in which case you're going to come into the scenario. You're going to come into the conversation already saying offensive line first. Maybe you were pounding the table in the offseason for the Buffalo Bills to wait on extending Josh Allen. And because of that, you're going to immediately start with Josh Allen as number one. I think the answer to this question from Sunday, the answer to this question has a tendency to expose some conversations that could potentially already be taking place between what you think is important and what you're already predisposed towards. So we have a couple of people in the comments and Radak five says, O-line play calling. Josh. Justin says, play calling, O-line, Josh. Joe Miller says, O-line, play calling, Josh. Bernard May says, play calling, offensive line, Allen. Newport, 50 line, 50 Allen. So no play calling from Newport. One of the things that I think you will notice here is that at the very beginning of this year, the level of leash and the level of patience that you will see from the fan base in regards to Josh Allen will be high because he just signed a quarter of a billion dollar contract. People who would otherwise be more inclined to say Josh Allen at one or Josh Allen at two will start to say Josh Allen at three because we don't want Josh Allen to be at one. We don't want to say that he was a big part of the problem. Because if we do, then we have to start having the other conversation, which is, oh, should we panic? Did we give him money too early? The answer is no. We didn't. Don't freak out. But I think it's interesting that when I look through social media and I look through the conversations that I've had this week, and if you look through the conversations that you've had this week with your friends and your family and your fellow Bills Mafia, what you're going to see is that the answer to the ordering of these three things is something that exposes pre-existing biases. And that's why I think it's interesting. Now, for me personally, it's O-line Allen play calling in that order. And I outlined that on my edition of the Bruce Exclusive that dropped on Thursday on the Buffalo Rumblings podcast network. But I think it's important to note that your answer to that question is oftentimes determined by pre-existing biases. 
And in regards to that, the question becomes, is it too early to panic on the offensive line? Is it too early to panic on the offensive line? Now, John Feliciano got his lunch handed to him pretty clearly on Sunday. And that's just part of the job when you're facing Cam Hayward. But the Bills really didn't make any additions to the starting offensive line. The two tackles that the Buffalo Bills picked in the draft are really, really raw, developmental, toolsy players. That's what they're there for. And interior offensive line, nothing. Nothing on the interior offensive line. They did re-sign John Feliciano, but no meaningful additions. And if you look down the line at the potential for the interior offensive line to look markedly different next year, I'm going to say, yes, it's going to look markedly different, but we don't necessarily know if it's going to be markedly better because John Feliciano has an out in his contract after one year, so he could be gone. Mitch Morse could be gone. There's a very reasonable chance that you're replacing at least two of your starting interior offensive line going into the 2022 season. It's one of the reasons why people were on board with drafting an interior offensive lineman in 2021. So when you look at the offensive line, you say, okay, is it too early to panic? First off, when it comes to the Steelers, Cam Hayward is a monster. So him dominating an inferior interior offensive lineman is not absurd. I don't think anyone going into this year thought John Feliciano was a good enough quality of caliber of lineman to be able to go toe-to-toe with Cam Hayward and be okay. I don't think even the most staunch John Feliciano supporters probably thought that he was Cam Hayward level of talent. I don't think anybody would argue that. But it was pretty drastic, the difference. Now, not every team's got a Cam Hayward, which is always good. But does that mean we panic? Because a lot of teams have reasonable, reasonable interior offensive linemen that can at least hold their own. They're not going to win, but they're not going to constantly lose to the point where it's blowing up the offense. Taylor in the comment section says, clears throat, Creed Humphrey. Yes, no. Taylor, you know. I was a big Creed Humphrey, interior offensive lineman out of Oklahoma. Was an absolutely big Creed Humphrey fan. So I was disappointed when they ended up taking Boogie Basham instead of Creed Humphrey, but it is what it is. B. May says, panic is our new national pastime. It's true. And, you know, we're very familiar with this as Bills fans. Panic is nothing new for us. But specifically when it relates to the offensive line, you know, should we panic there? And the answer is, this is the same offensive line as last year. It is. Did we think the offensive line was reasonable last year? I do. I think it was reasonable last year. I don't think it was good, but I think it was reasonable. What has been the overarching change? What has been the overarching change from last year to this year? Nothing. John Feliciano lost a little bit of weight. Deion Dawkins got COVID. Those are the two variables. Cody Ford is now playing right guard, but mind you, he was probably the best offensive lineman the Bills had. So when it relates to should we panic in regards to the offensive line, it's would you have panicked last year? Because the only new variables are Deion Dawkins got COVID, which you can pretty much assume that at some point he'll be recovered and back to normal. And John Feliciano lost 10 or 15 pounds. And that by itself should not be caused to panic. So the only new variables are those two things, which neither one on their own should be enough for the Buffalo Bills fans to panic about the offensive line. So I'm not going to panic yet because I don't think it's time to panic after one game. Three games is a trend for me. I say three games is a trend. The defensive line for the Miami Dolphins is not quite the same caliber. Christian Wilkins is a good player. He's not Cam Hayward. Jalen Phillips isn't quite there yet. So for me, it is a matter of let's just make sure that we don't panic while we're testing this offensive line against a lesser quality defensive line. Nate, are you around with me now? 
Oh, Bruce, that was the yes. most frustrating 20 minutes of my entire life. I broke my microphone out of anger. Uh, I Apparently, these stupid freaking headphones don't work. I'm so, so aside from that, how are you doing? But I'm glad to be with you. I'm glad I'm, I'm glad it only took me 15 minutes. Thank God you're a solo artist. Uh, I'm a you, I'm you, something you sort anyway. Of, you, you sort of went John Lennon on me, and I'm the Beatles, and I think that's fine. So do you want to chime in on any of the things that we have talked about thus far? Because I'm going to get you caught up. So first off, fusion food, sacrilegious okay. or necessary? <laughs> uh, necessary. Uh, in fact, Excellent. I just did a, a Japanese fusion um, restaurant here in Buffalo, Cooney's. Uh, had some delicious, delicious uh, sushi and some Japanese beer. Uh, fusion is necessary, Bruce. Okay. Second thing, order these. From most responsible to least responsible for the loss. Allen, offensive okay. line, play calling. Rank them for me. Oh, you devil. I know, right? Um, well, off, offensive lines first and foremost. Okay. Um, number one, the, the second, where this falls on Allen and, and play calling can be tricky because your answer could lead you to a place of where maybe you lean as a person. And what I mean by that is if you're a fan and you particularly like Josh Allen, I think you're going to just absolve Josh Allen of all faults, right? Like you're just going to say, ah, it's on Brian Dable and Josh Allen has no fault in this. You Um, literally just said the exact same thing that I said while you were being connected. It's almost like we're connected now. I said the exact same thing. I said, you're going to be able to tell a lot about a person by the answer to their question based on their previous leanings. Yes. Yes, whether or not you're going to absolve Josh Allen of all his wrongdoing. Um, I, dare I cop out, Bruce? Dare I say it's it's two A and two B? Um, I'm oh, not sure that one was worse than the other. I I'm not sure that one was worse than the other. To be honest, okay. um, all right. that's fine. I think they were both equally bad, um, but had equally had bright spots that were just so close, right? Um, so I hate to be the cop out, but I'm 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 gonna cop out. I'm I'm going to say that there was some equal level of fault on both. I'm not really willing to dip my toes into which had more fault. Okay. Is it too early to panic on the offensive line, Nate? No. It's not too oh, early to panic. I think we were panicking. Panic. I think we were panicking last year, Bruce. Were we not? Like I think we were saying I think we panicked in the AFC championship game and said they better upgrade this offensive line. And, and their upgrade option was a guy that they had on injury reserve and Cody Ford, who, by the way, was their best offensive line on Sunday. Um, I don't know if that's like a full on compliment or not, because there wasn't like out of the five, one played well. So to say that you play the best out of a group that really dropped the ball, I'm not sure I'm like willing to say like, that's an overly positive thing. Um, I sincerely hope they haven't dropped the ball, Bruce. I sincerely hope that this isn't the thing that's going to hold them back um, because they decided against a lot of our wishes, which was to upgrade, please upgrade from John Feliciano. They brought Feliciano back in a, in a primary starting role and they don't have anybody really to take take to to really rotate with him in a meaningful manner. And this is not a shot at Ike Botker. Ike Botker is a rotational player. Um, and you could convince me that last year him rotating with Cody Ford was your best option. I don't believe rotating he and Feliciano is your best option. I'm not sure out of the two that either of them really strike any level of inspiration in, into my heart. I, I am sincerely worried, Bruce, about the offensive line. And I know everyone wants to overreact from that game on Sunday. And I don't believe it's an overreaction to say that they're in deep trouble on the offensive line. Wow, that's a strong statement. Deep trouble on the offensive line. I think one of the things that's interesting to note about the Bills offensive line is that they ran it back at a lot of different positions this offseason. And if you look at the way that the Buffalo Bills built their situation you know built their tackling of the kansas city chiefs they said we need to get pass rush 
right? And if you look at the Browns, the Browns are like, we need a better offensive line and we need defensive backs. So two completely different approaches. I think that the one thing that I really want to take away before we move on to the next thing, the one thing that I hope that every single person who is listening to this show, either live on YouTube or later on as a podcast understands is there is no team that is ever without holes ever. So That's we right. need to stop. We need to stop right now. Don't let this moment pass you by without learning something. Because this offseason, there were a lot of people who were okay drafting a running back in the first round, and their methodology behind that mm-hmm. was this team doesn't have holes. This team doesn't have holes. We can afford a luxury pick. No team ever has no holes. That does not exist. So I hope we can learn Even the Chiefs have from holes. this. The Chiefs have holes. The the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have holes. They're right now, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going, man, we should have drafted a corner. They're all thinking that. The fact of the matter is there are no teams that are good enough for you to take your eye off the ball for a split second to get sloppy. That's right. To start to go, oh, you know what? No, no. We're going to go all in this year. We're going to ignore our team building philosophies and we're going to go all in for this year. There are no teams that are that good. They don't exist. So I hope the next time not in this we think no. of this. No, not in this league. I think the next time we think about going, well, this team's good enough. We can afford to get a little. No, no, you can't. You can't. Whatever it was you were going to say after we can afford to get a little, the answer is no. No, you can't. So what it, Bruce, what it comes down to is, do you have a quarterback good enough to cover up the holes? Right? I, I mean, that that's that's where you get to eventually in this league is can your quarterback overcome the holes and are those holes on the offensive side of the ball? And if they aren't, can the quarterback score enough points with the offense to overcome the issues that exist on the defensive side of the ball? And for a better part of the early part of Patrick Mahomes career, he was able to overcome shortcomings on the defensive side of the ball by scoring more points than the other team. Now that Steve Spagnola and that defense have figured things out, they've really shored up the interior. They've got Jaron Reed. They've got Chris Jones on that interior. They've got some nice pieces in the secondary with Tyron Matthew. Now, now they're a a whole defense. Uh, they're a whole defensive unit on the other side. Now the holes that exist for the Kansas City Chiefs. If let let's just let me let me back up what you're saying about how no team has holes by or no team doesn't have holes by stating the holes that the Kansas City Chiefs have, which are the entire right side of their offensive line. And any pass catcher not named Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey. Like, they also have holes. Their quarterback's able to overcome it. So the question is, can Josh Allen come overcome multiple issues on the offensive line? This isn't just one side, Bruce. This is the entirety of this group is I don't think it's built to succeed. So there's questions. I get tweets. Nate, should, we, should the Bills bump down um, – uh, Williams, should they bring him to guard? And I say, oh my God, has no one does no one remember what happened when he moved inside and when he moved to the left side in Carolina? It wasn't good, and that's why the Bills got him on a one-year deal last year at such a good rate because he was so bad at those other positions. The Bills are in a really tough spot because everyone just says, well, they drafted Spencer Brown. Put him in the lineup, Bruce. Easy as that. Um it's not as easy as that. They're, they're, I don't know, Bruce, that they have a legitimate a legitimate solution here in-house. And that is, to me, why I think it's safe to panic. Okay. Fair enough. So before we our guest joins us for the day, we want to talk about Bill's Dolphins. And specifically, what are we looking for schematically versus the Dolphins? What are we keeping our eye on? For me personally, one of the topics that has been chatted about this week is getting Tua Tungavailoa off his first read. If you look at Mm -hmm. Tua in less than two and a half seconds versus Tua in more than two and a half seconds, the splits are notable. It's really, really notable. And so that's a big part of it. We're going to come back to that conversation because we have with us here live on the Thrive Fantasy Hotline Sneaky Joe DiBiase from WGR, Mr. Sneaky Joe. How you doing, dude? Oh, Mike's not working for you. So while he's working on that. Listen, 
we we have really encountered some audio issues today i don't yeah i'm so a, angry at my at my whole situation and now sneaky yeah, joe's well, having audio issues we'll while he's on. working on that i'm gonna i'm gonna keep on my keep on my discussion earlier so i think for me when it boils down to the two uh two and a half seconds more to a uh, two and a half seconds less that part is something that may run a little bit counter to what the natural inclinations of Sean McDermott would be. And that is you may want to play a little tighter. Now, I understand that that's not really Levi Wallace's game, and I get that. But if the Miami Dolphins decide flat out that they're going to target Levi Wallace over and over and over again, we've seen what their style of receivers can do against a player who is physically limited. They have a couple big boy receivers and they have a couple speed receivers, both of which don't exactly, you know, have good things when it comes to attacking Levi Wallace. Levi Wallace is one of those people where you can count on him to do his job reasonably, make the tackle. But if you run into physically gifted players, whether that's through speed or whether that's through size, he can get picked on. Well, the Miami Dolphins have that quality of receiver in Jalen Waddle. They have that quality of receiver in Devontae Parker. They have that quality of receiver in Preston Williams. They have either a big boy or a fast boy. So I think one of the things <laughs> that I'm going to keep an eye on moving forward is I'm going to keep an eye on how the Buffalo Bills decide that they want to get him to hold the ball longer. Because this is really the coverage versus pass rush argument. If you want Tua to hold the ball longer, you have to cover his first read to allow the pass rush to get home. And to do that, you might have to play a little bit tighter than you would otherwise be comfortable doing. So that's my whole thing when it comes to that. Mr. Sneaky Joe, are you with me? I, I think we're good now, right? We, we got, got it. We, we got it. How All are you right. doing, dude? Hell yeah. Good. Pretty good. How are you guys doing tonight? We are fantastic. We are going to go back to the schematically versus the Dolphins discussion nate after we're done here with sneaky joe but Deal. sneaky joe you had a conversation on mm -hmm. your show not too long ago about josh allen mm -hmm. and regression and i want to for those mm. people who maybe didn't get that didn't catch that i want to kind of recap that because nate actually reached out to me he was like hey you know joe did a really good spot on josh allen and regression on his show and can you recap that for me a little bit yeah, pretty much. Uh, I think the way I'm looking at Allen's regression this year is that it it can come, but they can still be they can still be a great team. But I'm not betting on the regression happening. I think the way that Josh Allen went about fixing his footwork, working with Jordan Palmer, the way he worked on fixing his throwing motion by digitally mapping it with the company last year and working with Brian Dable, having wide receivers, really the same infrastructure around him um, that he that he had last year with with Diggs and Beasley and Sanders in for Brown to me is a wash, if not an improvement at best. Uh, you've got Brian Dable still sticking around. He didn't get a head coaching job this offseason. So to me, because of the way he went about his improvement and the, the infrastructure around him still being the same, I still kind of want to just chalk this past Sunday up to just a bad game. Like it happens. And like, yeah, he missed the throw deep, but am I too believing he's back to 2019 Josh Allen because of one game against one of the best defenses in the league whose defensive line was getting past the bills on three different fronts, both edge positions and cam Hayward up the middle. I mean, a lot, big part of Josh Allen's game is creating off structure and I think really he was limited to doing that against Pittsburgh. So um, my, my overall point, I think at this point is I just don't think the regression is going to be significant enough to have to panic. So Joe, tell me why, if you believe that regression isn't setting in, so to speak, mm -hmm. I look back at last year and I say, first and foremost, let's just go back at that Pittsburgh game last year. How much different is Josh Allen's performance last Sunday compared to the previous year's performance against the Steelers short of a fluky special teams mm. play. Like they feel eerily similar. They feel not a, not bad, B not great. They feel almost exactly the same Joe. And doesn't this feel yeah. like if this is the sort of quote unquote bad performance, which by the way, Russell Wilson uh, pretty, okay, how about this? Every elite quarterback not named Patrick Mahomes pretty much has two, three, uh, 
Russell Wilson had this game in Buffalo last year. Not a yeah. great game. Um, elite quarterbacks don't always play to the elite level every single week for 16, now 17 weeks. So would you say that the panic button being pressed after week one is premature? And B, how much different really is last week's performance than the 2020 performance against Pittsburgh or the 2019 performance against Pittsburgh. They all are very similar. Yep. They're all one-score games, Joe. The difference is a fluky special teams play. Pretty much. He struggled in all three. Uh, I mean, maybe not. He didn't play terrible, though. I think all three he just played maybe adequate is the word to describe it. I would say uh, maybe he played at the median. The median. That's a good way of putting it. And if that's good enough, Twice, it was good enough to beat the Steelers. If you get a little luck to go your way, you get that big play that your offense doesn't create. It was the Taron Johnson uh, pick six against the Steelers last year. And this game just happened to go the other way with a block punt by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like, it happens. I think the the variance, I think the way the Steelers play football, they can do that to a lot of quarterbacks. Maybe they can't do it to Patrick Mahomes, but I think they could do it to a lot of the other elite quarterbacks in the league on a consistent basis because of their talent up front and their talent in the secondary. And we saw it from Mahomes in the Super Bowl. It wasn't Pittsburgh doing it, but when he is getting constant pressure in his face, he did not look like the same quarterback. Now, he was still good, but was he Patrick Mahomes? I don't think anyone would tell you that was the best version of Patrick Mahomes we saw in the Super Bowl. It wasn't his fault, but it was just the nature of the situation. So, to me, I'd want to chalk it a lot up to like give the credit to the Steelers on defense. Um, and yeah, like I think you just caught a bad break. I think you play the Steelers 10 times, you might win that football game seven times. Because really, I think a positive spin you could put on last last week's game is that was one of the worst games I'd seen the Bills play in two years. And they were two plays away from winning. You reverse the, the result of that block punt, and Josh Allen puts a little more air on that ball to Emmanuel Sanders deep, the Bills win that football game. So I want to ask you a little bit about that, the, the whole Super Bowl thing, the Josh Allen thing. I want specifically the word blueprint. The word blueprint has started to kind of creep into the narrative a little bit this mm. past week. Oh, have have teams figured out Josh Allen? Right? Have they figured him out? And specifically, it was, man, if you can get pressure with four and drop seven, man, that's the blueprint to stopping Josh Allen. As if somehow that's not the blueprint to stopping every quarterback ever, <laughs> is being able to get more pressure with less right. bodies. right? As if that's somehow never a bad thing. But specifically when it comes to blueprint, when you look at Josh Allen's splits, man versus zone, pressure versus not pressure. Great question, Bruce. Is yeah. there something there that we should at least keep an eye on this year? Because last year, against man, quarterback rating 122. Against mm -hmm. zone, average quarterback rating in the 90s. I can't believe we're at his first side note. I can't believe we're in a spot where passing efficiency is so easy that the average quarterback rating in the NFL the is 90s. now in the 90s which That's is crazy. fascinating to me. But is that something we should at least be keeping an eye on moving forward, the man versus zone splits? Because I, I don't think the blueprint's anything else, but what about that? I don't think you can ignore it. Um, I, he's owned the Dolphins his entire career, and the Dolphins have been a heavy man team, uh, especially under Brian Flores. So I think it's just kind of the nature of the way he plays the position. I think he's very good at throwing into wide receivers that have separated, and he's got good wide receivers for that. Xavier Howard, Byron Jones, you could throw great cornerbacks at the Bills, but they their receivers are so good at separating that I kind of want to give them a lot of the credit, I feel like, for when they're playing man-to-man, -man, the Bills receivers oftentimes are going to beat the opposing cornerbacks. But at the same time, and I know you were talking more about his ability as a passer, but part of what I think about him versus Miami in the past couple of years, why he's maybe been such a good rusher against them is yeah. When you're playing, you, it's, it's dangerous to play man against Josh Allen as it is many of these elite mobile quarterbacks, because your back, your back is going to be turned a lot more often than when you're playing zone coverage. And that's how Allen can break off some of these big runs. And you kind of have to account for that as well. Sometimes you have to dedicate a whole nother person to preventing that from happening. If you want to play man with a, with a quarterback spy. So it's something to pay attention to. Um, there are times when he's been great against zone coverage. I know on the, on the macro, maybe it's been a, a, a decrease from the man, but I think back to the San Francisco game last year where Robert Sella plays a lot of zone coverage. And that was maybe Josh Allen's best game of the season. So while yes, I think maybe he's been more consistent and the numbers would fact check that uh, against man coverage. 
I, I don't want to say Allen's incapable of having big games against zone coverage or anything like that. You know, I was listening, Joe, to the afternoon show today, short of your Oh no, don't your, don't even don't even bring it go ahead, bring it up. It's it's worth short of short of you not knowing that Hootie and the Blowfish were not a country listen, music band. Listen, he he's a country singer. I mean I the, the assumption it, But Hootie and the Blowfish are nineties pop royalty and for you Nate. to say and listen i get it you're a younger guy you're what yes. you're 26 26 so like 95 for me so like i'm not really not i don't really excuse. remember the 90s i don't really don't remember use, the do 90s not use youth i, as, I have as a it. reason i kind of want to play the card i have it i kind of want to play I'm it i'm not happy with it's it in my deck i'm not happy with it Listen, I mean, that's though, early um, 90s, too, isn't it? It's yeah. early 90s for Hootie and the Blowfish. No, no. I, no? Hootie and the Blowfish is definitely late 90s. It's yeah, borderline it 2000s. It might actually be 2000s. We might be giving Hootie and the Blowfish too much credit on their 90s, uh, on their 90s <laughs> persona there. They might oh, just yeah. be straight 2000s. Years to active. Totally honest. Years okay, active. I have answers on this. I have yeah, answers. We can solve this right now. So 94 to 95 was cracked rear view which was the big popular okay, first one. Album. That was Only Want to okay. Be With yeah. You, Time, Hold My Hand. That was big, epic Hootie and the All Blowfish, right, so 94 to 95. That's fine. That's 90s. Yeah, okay. that's 90s. Wikipedia is um, telling me years active, 86 to 2008. But sometimes years active, like oh, you could go, yeah. yeah, you never know. Like you could, they did a concert in 2008. So that covers like the whole 2000s. Maybe you never know with, with that. I have a story I want to tell real uh, fast. Go ahead, Bruce. Tell it. I want to do it. It's about hooting the blowfish. So, my uh, <laughs> I have a, a I have a family member who was interviewing for a job, and in the job they said, "Tell me about the biggest lie you ever told." And he said, "Okay." So one time I was on this this plane, and I was being sent out to spend time with my grandparents who lived in California, and I was put on there, and I was I was a little kid, and I I wasn't quite you know. My, my nerves weren't quite right. And they sat me down next to this very kindly gentleman who introduced himself as being Darius Rucker. And I, of course, did not know who Darius Rucker was. And I was sitting there and I was kind of jotting down some notes on a piece of paper. And I was, I was big into poetry. And so I decided to write some poetry. And Darius Rucker. Where's the story over, going? Bro? Darius Rucker yeah, looked over at me and he said, he said, dude, what, 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 what is this? What, what, what was this? And he said, well, I, I'm writing a poetry. And he goes, oh, that's really cool. Can I have this? And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I'm going to let this guy have a piece of poetry. Well, a couple of years later, I ended up hearing that poetry on the radio. And the song was Let Her Cry, right? By, mm -hmm. by Hootie and the Blowfish. And the interviewer was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And he looked at him and he goes, that's the biggest lie I've ever told. Right there. And that <laughs> was, he used Hootie and the Blowfish, my, my, uh, uh, sibling used Hootie and the Blowfish as the biggest lie he ever told to help it show the creativity that was necessary to be able to get that job. So that's my that's my best. So Hootie this and the really story. wasn't a Hootie and the Blowfish story at all. No, really, no, not at all. <laughs> it, really was the, it, it was how Hootie and the Blowfish not. got used to land a job, and I, it was it worked. In, in, in no way was this a firsthand <laughs> Hootie and the Blowfish story. No, Thank you. That's yeah. the point. Uh, where, come on, where does come one on, that's even funny. go from here? This is listen, before before I was really <laughs> happy about you being my co-host, and then and then that story happened. And now, <laughs> what the now hell? I'm unsure. Now, now, I, now I'm unsure. Um now I, I used to brag to my girlfriend about how cool my co-host was, and now I'm gonna mm. tell her that I'm I might show I'm I might reveal your actual persona to everyone after that story. Oh, oh wow the big, big reveal no, okay. i'm not the fbi <laughs> i wouldn't do that i wouldn't do that listen um let me let me let me get this back on the freaking tracks after bruce good luck with that brought us to uh, <laughs> to bet i don't know where he brought that was us. funny um all right whatever <laughs> i but we'll discuss this after joe leaves i i anyways Joe, I was listening to the afternoon show, and after mm -hmm. I was distracted by your terrible takes on Hootie and the Blowfish, I was taken back by something that Bulldog said today, which was mm -hmm. he kind of felt like, like, hey, like he's sort of welcoming the Dolphins to run man coverage, right? 
And mm -hmm. that would be a great thing. Like if the Dolphins want to run man coverage against Josh Hanson, we know what he can do against man coverage. And I want to flip this a little bit and ask you, would you rather watch the teams that are on the Bills schedule that are run heavy teams? We know there are teams that, particularly in the division, they're going to play a team in the New England Patriots that run a majority of man, maybe more than anybody in the league, and they've got the man corners to do it. Would you rather teams that are winning and competent by the man coverage they run, run that man coverage against the Bills? Or would you welcome these teams saying, as good as Stephon Gilmore is, as good as Xavier Howard is, we think these players are elite level man coverage corners, but Josh Allen's too good. We're going to change who we are and we're going to run zone because mm. I listened to Bulldog and I said, yeah, you know, like I would, I, if, if the Dolphins want to run man coverage, I know what they can do against those starters. But part of me then pivoted and thought to myself, let them run zone. If they, if they over coach, if they over prepare where they're going to come to is we're a great man cover team, but in order to beat mm. this player, we have to fundamentally change who we are. And we want to run zone today. We want to run cover. We want to run quarters. We want to run, you know, too deep. We want to run two man. We want to run all these different yeah. types of zone coverages, which of those plays better into the Bills' hand. That defense fundamentally changing what they do on week-in, week-out basis, their identity, in order to defend Josh Allen? Or is it staying your identity because we feel confident that Josh Allen is going to beat that man coverage regardless of the situation? In, in theory, I'd want to believe that if the defense was changing, you know, philosophically what they're doing, uh, to be like that can lead to communication breakdowns that can lead to players being put in unnatural positions that they might not have quick instincts to. And I think that is incredibly dangerous to do when you have a quarterback with the type of arm strength Josh Allen has and the ability to make big plays that Josh Allen has, because I, I don't know. I think, I think I might prefer that. I think I might prefer like, yeah, get them uncomfortable, have them start running zone coverage against me. And then, Oh, boom, there's a safe, there's a, there's an error in the, in the safety coverage and there's broken coverage and Allen hits the deep ball and that's leading to big plays. To me, if you could scare defenses into doing something they're not comfortable with, that's when you know you've really made it as an elite offense in the NFL. I think the Chiefs do that a lot. And I don't know how many offenses, other offenses, I'd really want to give credit to that, but I'd like to think that the Bills are an offense like that. So I think my answer to that would be I, I welcome as much of that as I can get. Uh, defenses on the other side, scared to death to play their, their, their base defense against me, and they feel like they've got to change something midseason. They've got to put the all something the week of because they know they're going to get beat otherwise. Uh, to me, that really... That really, I think, signifies the level of fear that you're striking into opposing defenses, and that's exactly the type of offense that I want the Bills to have in the NFL. Being able to make a defense do left-handed work is the ultimate compliment mm. to your offense. It really is, because nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to do left-handed work. Nobody wants to get away from who they are. In fact, when you listen to the common football tropes from NFL coaches, it's, we got to go out and we got to be who we are. You know, we got to be who we are. We got to be who we are. And then the second you play a team like Kansas City, you're all of a sudden you're not who you are anymore. If you remember correctly, you immediately Bills, change who you are. Yeah, yeah. No longer. I'm no longer who and, I am. And Bruce, right? Bruce, is that not their model, though? Right. Like, is that not part of Kansas City's model, which yes. is you overthink, you overcoach, you overprepare and you determine what you do is not good enough. So therefore, you need to be something else. And therefore, you are going to you almost play into exactly what Kansas City wants you to do, which is change who you are because of how efficient they are. Well, if you remember correctly, the Bills defensive game plan against Kansas City in the regular season last year was we're yeah. literally going to beg you to run the ball. Right. And they it, was did. Un, it was unlike any other game plan that the Bills ran that the rest of the entire year. We're going to beg you. To run the ball we're going to show you the most inviting and wonderful boxes to run the ball against and we're going to beg you to do it because every snap you decide to hand the ball off to Clyde Edwards Alaire instead of throw it to Tyree Kill or Travis Kelsey is a victory so the bills even fall into that and so I think that it is the ultimate compliment if you're able to see the Miami Dolphins come out here and run a lot of too high 
which is the ste- what the Steelers did, right? A lot of too high, a lot of zone. If the Miami Dolphins do that, they don't have the horses to pull that off on the front line the way that the Steelers did. So everyone seems to be worried about people duplicating what the Steelers did, but not everybody's got Cam Hayward and TJ Watt. So they can try and not to do only that, that, but Bruce, it forces you out of the, what you're good at. Listening to, geez, who was it? Uh, Man, I'm 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 just like playing afternoon shows. Biggest fan here. I'm Frank from Chicktawaga at this point. Um, <laughs> but I'm I'm thinking of a guest that you guys had recently. Oh, it was Doug Farrar. Um, and Doug was talking about how defenses in the NFL, this new in vogue thought, which is playing two deep high, and essentially what safeties are able to do in the league right now, and in, in disguising both pre snap and post snap and shifting and 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 moving back into positions and and he mentioned the Bills as maybe being one of those teams that could do it better than anybody else because of the communication between Poyer and Hyde Joe I, I wonder how much mm. and, and this sort of fits into a little bit of of what Bruce's question is here which is how many dogs can really do what Pittsburgh did because you mentioned the Super Bowl and mm. you don't have that result if Patrick Holmes has a starting offensive line. Let's, I, I think let's just throw that out there that the result likely is to happen if Eric Fisher and uh, whoever the other, whoever their right tackle was. Um, Ooh, why am I forgetting also? I don't know why. why do I, I want to say Schwartz, but I feel like that's Yes, right. uh, Mitchell Schwartz. Mitchell so if Schwartz. they don't have those two, you know, we're, we're probably not seeing that same result in the Super Bowl. So, Joe, like, I look at this and I say, how many people, how many teams yeah. on the Bills' schedule – and let's just say in the AFC until they get to the Super Bowl, because I think the one team in the NFC that does have the horses is Tampa. They play them in the regular season, and they well, likely have to get through them in the Super Bowl I, as well. I might want to say next week also with Washington and Chase Young, but like the ability to create four-man rush. They, they no, they didn't. Looked good. But but you're right. Like In terms of the AFC, like I mean, maybe Pittsburgh is it, but you might play Pittsburgh. You might play them in the first yep. round of the playoffs, and I guess we'll cross that bridge when we get to it, and you would hope that the Bills make adjustments they can learn something from this past Sunday's game. Uh, maybe you're getting a better version of Deion Dawkins by that point because I'm still I, – I know Sean McDermott has said that he has not been affected by it. I do not believe that he is not being affected by COVID-19. Cam Newton oh, last year, yeah. the story on Cam Newton was he never got back to being right after he had COVID, which was like week four. You're telling me less than a month after Deion Dawkins was in the hospital. Three and a half weeks. He's not being affected by it. Like to me, right, exactly. I think that is, it's crazy to think he's not hampered by it in some way, whether that's being him a little bit more winded than he was. Maybe he's 10% lesser of a player. I don't know. But he wasn't the only problem anyway. I mean, Feliciano getting beat up, abused by Cam Hayward in the middle. And on the other side, Darrell Williams didn't have the strongest game either. I think really the Bills just didn't have the ability to help Deion Dawkins out. You couldn't throw an extra body over there to chip uh, Melvin Ingram or TJ Watt, whoever he was going up against on that given play, because you couldn't have those guys everywhere. Um, So I think it's a good point, though. Like, how many teams can play the way Pittsburgh did yesterday? I think the real answer is not many. And I think what you're that's why I'm not panicking. I think they're going to play Miami on Sunday. And, like, we'll see. I'm not going to be in panic mode even if they lose to Miami, but I'll certainly be looking at the season differently than when we came in. But. My expectation would be like that spread is three and a half. I would be hammering the Bills on three and a half against the Dolphins. I think that is the perfect type of opponent for the Bills. It's an offense that I do not respect that has the ability to keep up with the Bills offense when they are at their best. I think the defensive model is not designed to play teams like the Bills well. And I think they're going, can I say crush them? I might not want to predict more than like, 12 to 14 points, but I think the bills are going to win by more than one score in this game. I think the, they'll get back on track against Miami. And then, like you said, you got Taylor Heineke and Tyrod Taylor back to back, like it, as disappointing and as negative as this week really has been post Pittsburgh Steelers. I think the season could qu- turn back into a lot of the storylines we were talking about last year, pretty quickly. If ever there was a get right game, it is the Miami dolphins against whom Josh Allen has an entire trophy case of AFC Offensive Player of the Week awards. Doesn't he win it like every time he plays the Dolphins? He's I think he's won it three out of five, three of the he, last five times he's played them. And he's only lost once to them, and it, they they were inches away from winning it. It was that Charles Clay play in his rookie year. And remember, that was rookie Josh Allen's Bills with no semblance of an offense around him. He still almost beat that Miami Dolphins team that I think Tannehill probably was still their quarterback at that point. 
Mr. Sneaky Joe, thank you so much for joining us. Before we let you get out of here, yeah. tell everybody where they can find you, what you're up to, what you got coming down the pike. Uh, at Sneaky Joe Sports, you can follow me on Twitter. Me and Nate are doing pregame for the Bills on Sunday. So if you want to get ready for Bills and Dolphins, uh, check us out starting at 10 a.m. on WGR and the Bills Radio Network. Uh, I'm doing Locked On Sabres. We got the Prospects Challenge that's going on right now. So I'm going to have to rewatch that game because I did not have a chance to watch it in the last couple of hours and uh, do a little bit on that. Um, that's pretty much it. Fantasy League. JJ Paterka, baby. JJ Paterka. Yeah, I feel like that's a guy we need a good nickname for. Like, I feel like yeah. there's, I don't have anything clever ready to go for you, but. Not me either. Like we'll figure it out, there. though. And then, like, yeah, we got 10, 10 Fantasy Leagues is also what I got going on right now. <laughs> including one with Nate and I. Including. That's yeah. Including. Ooh, now, I did a bad. League last I, year. Nate beat me. Nate beat, one of the worst feelings in a loss when your opponent beats you and it's super flex and his quarterback had less than one point and I still yeah, lost 50. that game. Fitzy Holy went cow. out. Fitzy went out in the fir- in the second series and uh, he had negative point zero six points and I still beat Sticky Joe. Well, my, I mean, Urban Meyer crushed me. I mean, I'm a guy who plays the matchups with defense more so than the actual defense that got me killed because I played the Jaguars against Tyrod and the Texans. And that was like negative three before you go, Joe. Yeah. Is it time to panic on James Robinson? No, actually I would be buying James Robinson right now. I I would be, I would be trying to sell. I just sold him. You just sold him. Would you sell him for though? Uh, I, I, the, the running back from the Ravens, Williams, Tyson Williams, straight up. Tyson Williams, straight up. I think I think you'll be okay there. I would have I think them, so too. If I, I were doing that, rest of season rankings, they'd be pretty close together. I my um, thoughts exactly. And quick give me for you, though. give me give me Greg Roman the the offensive play caller for running backs over That's whatever right. is happening in in Jacksonville because clearly I saw a tweet. Somebody posted a picture of Urban Meyer's wife who was giving a walkthrough of their home on Twitter and there was a bunch of family portraits on their, on their kitchen table. And yeah. someone said, if you look really closely, there's a photo of Carlos Hyde on the table. <laughs> <laughs> One of the better tweets of today. Carlos. Hyde. Yes. Yes, indeed. Excellent. Sneaky Joe. Thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it, man. Thanks buddy. Thanks guys. We appreciate Thanks. you. Ralph. We'll Thanks. catch you later. See you. Nate, let's circle back because I said we were going to, I mentioned what I schematically was looking for win Bills Dolphins. I wanted to see if the Bills were going to play coverage a little bit tighter. We were going to see a little sure. bit more man in attempt to get Tua to hold the ball a little bit longer. What are you looking for schematically in Bills versus Dolphins? So I mentioned to Joe there uh, about whether or not the Dolphins defense would change their identity in order to try to stop Josh Allen. And I and I think about it this way, Bruce. They have not had a lot of success running man coverage and doing what they do. What they do against everybody else does not work against Josh Allen. He's 5-0 and in his last five starts. He's got 25% of his yardage output in his career in those five games against the Dolphins. So I wonder, do the Dolphins decide that we need to change? We What we're doing is not working. Let's ask Xavier Howard. Let's ask... Um, Byron Jones, let's ask these defensive backs, these linebackers to do things they're not being asked to do at any point during the preseason, at any point during the tra- during training camp, and really at any other point during the season. I would bet no, but I've just got this feeling in the back of my head that Brian Flores is going to adopt the Belichick model, which is We are not a defense. We're not an offense that does one thing. We are an offense. We are a defense. We are a game plan away from changing based on what the opponent does and the weaknesses around that opponent. And if you're looking, Bruce, if you're looking at this Bills offense and you're saying we got to run zone, zone is stopping Josh Allen, it's slowing down this passing offense, how do you not look at that and say that's the weakness how do we exploit it and not change who you are fundamentally? So that's like the big scheme thing for me. But if you were to flip this on its head and say, you know, Tua, who again, I, Bruce, I went back and watched the first two and a half quarters. I said, okay, 
this guy, like, they're going to win some games with this guy. And then he went one for his next nine, threw an interception, and basically gave the game away to the Patriots. And Damon Harris fumbled the ball and gave it back to the Dolphins. The Dolphins should be 0-1. And it shouldn't be because of anybody else other than Tua Tonga Viola, who I believe is the weakest link of that football team. That team, Bruce, will have Deshaun Watson starting a quarterback next year for them. Whoa. Okay. Well, we promised you cold, hard facts and fresh hot takes, and we get it. A reminder that all of our guests are brought to you on the Thrive Fantasy hotline. Come prop up on Thrive Fantasy this football season. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports and esports app for player props. With Thrive, you can eliminate the countless hours of research and focus only on the top-tier athletes that have the biggest impact on the game. Choose 10 out of the 20 available player props and build your lineup. Each prop is designed and assigned a fantasy value for both the over and the under based on how likely it is to hit. Hit the most props and rack up the most points to win a share of the prize pool. Thrive has awarded over $4 million so far. Thrive's featured $100,000 guaranteed contest is $20 to enter, and first place takes home $20,000. Use promo code BUFFBILLS. Again, that's promo code B-U-F-F-B-I-L-L-S when you sign up today, and you will receive a 100% instant first deposit match up to $100. Download Thrive Fantasy on the App Store or Play Store or by visiting their website, www.thrivefantasy.com. Again, that's www.thrivefantasy.com. Sign up and prop up today. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. We have a mailbag to get to. We have comments to get to. If you are in the comments section and you want to talk about questions and you've got takes, Now's the time. Make sure you remember that YouTube Super Chats get priority in the event that we're not able to get to everything we want to get to. But, Nate, I have a mailbag for us to discuss. Padden, who is a follower of mine on Twitter, sent me an email and said, I think McKenzie is going to have a very good game against the Dolphins. Not really basing it on last year. I just got a feeling he's going to become the go-to guy for the offense at some point. Is there something particular? Is there really something particular about this game, Nate, that makes you think maybe Isaiah McKenzie could be an X factor? Because to me, when I look at Isaiah McKenzie and I think about the things that he does on offense, the gadget plays, the jet motion, things like that, it feels to me (laughs) like in addition to getting a cat in the camera and having a benefit (laughs) that comes along from having a cat in the camera, I think that there's a real possibility when it comes to McKenzie, that if the Miami Dolphins don't decide to go zone, if they do decide to stick with man, that you can outflank them a little bit with that jet motion. You can get a little bit ahead of them. You can turn the corner on him a little bit. It feels to me like he's more likely to have a bigger impact if they don't go zone heavy against the Buffalo Bills. Nate, what do you think? I think you're spot on, Bruce. I think you're talking about like – if you're trying to game plan for teams that are going to run heavy man against you, like Isaiah McKenzie has got to be a part of that plan. Right. Like I, I think, especially when you talk about like the intricacies of how the slot position can really, really expose man coverage, you may not obviously with, with, with Cole Beasley, you probably don't have a better slot option in the league right now, short of Cole Beasley. So I look at that and I say, okay, Cole Beasley's your cheat code and why? Well, you have two all pro corners on the outside. Who do they have on the inside? 
like they've got a their their end of their first round pick. Don't ask him to to spell or, or or to pronounce his name properly. The the corner out of Auburn. Um, I don't know how to say it, so I'm not going to butcher the guy's name. But that's a first round pick. That's their slot corner right now. And tell me that's not a mismatch against Cole Beasley. And then you add in the fact that okay. Give me Isaiah McKenzie against that team's number four corner who's going to run man coverage. Like, I, th- that's how I look at this. So, saying that McKenzie is a guy that you're looking at to be a guy that could potentially stand on his head this week. I love the matchup for Isaiah McKenzie. And just rewind to week 17. I think that's probably what's in the back of everyone's mind of last year, right? Which is, let's rewind to week 17. Who owned that defense when all the starters were available. It was Isaiah McKenzie because I think he was the fourth option. He's the guy out there that you guess you just don't really account for or game plan around. So I like Isaiah McKenzie's role this week. Uh, Bruce, I, I look at this this game plan, or, or I think about the game plan that they deployed last, last year in Week 17 against this Dolphins team. And there was nothing special. It was just a lot of crossing routes. It's a lot of Stefan Diggs, and now they have Emmanuel Sanders. And I wonder what the addition of Emmanuel Sanders does in this matchup. And I wonder if Sanders sort of takes the reps we saw Isaiah McKenzie get last year. But I get where I get where anybody might look at this game and say, McKenzie's the guy I'm looking at because he just tends to own man coverage as the fourth receiver. Give me Isaiah McKenzie against any team's fourth corner any day of the week. So for those keeping track at home, Noah Igbenogany is the name of the slot for the Miami Dolphins. Noah Igbenogany. We have a couple questions here in the comment section. First off, Joseph Van Slyke says, Moss or Singletary? Singletary put the ball on the ground. McDermott preaches ball security. So Singletary. I think think Singletary until we see otherwise because Singletary has never been a healthy scratch in his career. So we're now approaching. By the way, he didn't lose the fumble, and I and not that I. Uh, that's semantics. I get it. Um, but when single when you fumble and you hurt your team, that's where the consequences come. I don't believe. I don't believe he's going to hold that against him. I would agree with that. Mike Carlisto says thoughts on developing Kumaro into a tight end eventually, or am I smoking the good stuff? I think you're smoking the great stuff, quite frankly. Kumro is tall, but he's not big. Don't don't misinterpret smoking those two things. I think that I think that Jake Kumro, when you look at the stats on him, right, he's tall, but he's not overly thick. I mean, this is a guy who's 209 pounds, maybe 205 pounds, but he's 6'4. So I mean, you got to put on 40 pounds before you even start talking. So I, I yeah. think that. Whatever it is that you happen to have gotten yourself into, Mike, I think that I, I'm really pleased. He to got see- into the catnip. Yeah, yeah. He got while we're on the cat topics. I, I think that it's important to note that that it is now recreationally approved in many states across the United States. So I think that's necessary. Yes. And now we have a, a close up of the cat coming. We've completely gone off. Completely gone off the rails. This this show started off off the rails because Nate yep. was late. And then I told a Hootie and the Blowfish story that wasn't even about Hootie and the Blowfish, and I thought it was hilarious. Uh, just, just the worst Hootie and the Blowfish story I've ever heard. That's the that's the joke. The joke is it's not a Hootie and the Blowfish story. That's the okay. joke. Okay. Well, anyway, last thing before we get out of here: winners and losers from this week in the NFL. And Nate, I will allow you to go first on this. Who's your biggest winner this week in the NFL? Biggest winner's got to be Derek Carr. Um, he led the league all week in week one in passing yards. He goes out and beats a defense that pretty much nobody gave that Raiders team a chance to win, including me. I watched that first half and I thought the Raiders might be the one of the worst teams in the AFC. And Derek Carr turned it around and put together a performance I was really impressed with. Um, I've got to say Derek Carr's got to be one of your biggest winners of week one, not biggest wieners, biggest winners of week one, Um, biggest loser of week one. Mm. It's got to be Joe Judge, right? Am I, Mm. am I, am I off base in saying that he is the worst coach in the NFL and that's saying something's Matt Nagy is a coach in the NFL. Okay. So my biggest winner is going to be the Kansas city chiefs. And the reason is, they got whooped by the Browns. 
They got outplayed thoroughly on both sides of the ball, and they still ended up winning. And there's a level of confidence, and there's a little of a swag that comes along from understanding that everything goes bad, and you still win. So for me, my biggest winner is going to be Kansas City because the Browns did everything they possibly could right, and they dominated both sides of the line of scrimmage. There were people in Patrick Mahomes' face all day long, and it still wasn't enough. So that's a tremendous level of swag and confidence that's exhibited by Kansas City and also an incredible level of frustration for the Browns, knowing that you did everything oh, right me. and you lost the game. You think to yourself, what do I have to do to win at this spot? What do I have to do to beat Kansas City? Because apparently I can do what I thought was a reasonable facsimile to what Tampa Bay did in the Super Bowl and still end up losing because I don't have Tom Brady. I have Baker Mayfield. So they're my biggest winner, Kansas City Chiefs. I was going to have Joe Judge as my biggest loser, but unfortunately, you already took that. So my biggest loser, my biggest loser is going to be Aaron Rodgers. And it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily because he just had a bad game. It's because the idea that he had a bad game after all of the drama that happened this offseason doesn't get rid of the drama. If he comes out week one and plays well, everyone immediately forgets about it. That is never a topic of conversation for the rest of the year. But now, now it lingers. Now it lingers. And if he plays well this week, it still kind of lingers a little bit. If he plays okay, it still kind of lingers a little bit. If he would have come out and dropped 350 yards, three touchdowns, and they would have beat the brakes off the New Orleans Saints... It would have been completely gone. There was never another discussion about it. No, the whole drama between him and the front office, all of it's gone. All he had to do was play well, and he'll never have to answer a question about it for another couple of weeks until the season's over, and you can restart the whole, is Aaron Rodgers going to get traded narrative? But because he didn't play well, because that didn't happen, now it's got to linger on again. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it. We ran about five minutes over. So I apologize, but I had a really important Hootie and the Blowfish story to tell. So that's really important. I, Clearly, sure I that you understand. I now have to buy a new microphone because I broke I broke this off tonight. Oh, well, okay. now, now now it's back now it's back functioning. Did you, did so you maybe, were you maybe, rage quitting, Nate? Is that what was happening, dude? I was I was so upset because like I could see the camera was working. I just couldn't get the headset, and I believe you could hear me. Yes, I could hear you clicking right? furiously. It was great. Yeah. No, I, you know, and I'm pretty sure at some point my girlfriend might have texted me and asked me if I was okay in here. Um, in which I, in which case, I just responded with the love of my my small cat who is now hanging out with us, who is basically now the food for thought mascot. So welcome, I feel like that's appropriate. Uh, food, food for thought friend. mascot. Yeah, I'm good with it. Yeah. No, he's ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. I understand it was a little bit of an odder episode, but I swear we're going to get it together. It's it's going to be it's going to be all together. Technical issues be darned next week. And thanks for stopping by, Food for Thought. And I hope you didn't leave hungry.